Hi everybody, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit The Woman Behind the Smile and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go, and everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are in your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and those lessons gleaned from them. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize this. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day in paradise, as I love to tease my friends in Canada. It's a beautiful sunny day down here in South Florida, and I am so excited about my about my special guest today. But before we get there, I just want to remind you that last week's show was about the 9-11 survivor, Ari Schoenbrunn, and I was on edge the whole time walking down 78 flights of stairs at the World Trade Center with him. Unbelievable story. So please go uh, to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, and look at the replay from last week's show and spread that around because I know most of us are of that age where we were, we were there. We know what happened on 9-11, and I want you all to remember Ari's story with him. Uh, don't ever, let, it, don't ever you know, let the world forget what happened. But today, guys, we have a powerhouse woman, a gal that I've gotten to know through CEO space. Uh, she's just, I'm looking at her picture here, and she's in the power position that I put out on, the, on one of my promotions and with a big old smile on her face. And I know that there are some, there's a woman hiding behind that smile, but she is a woman with a smile that is building something that heals, something that's bigger than herself. And everybody, please give a warm welcome to my guest today, Miss Tiffany Larshi. Are you there? Hip, 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 hip hooray. I'm hip, so excited hip, to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited. So tell us where you're coming from. Well, right now I'm coming from Los Angeles. Now, i got to well, tell you, I absolutely smiled when you said, uh, to my friends in Canada, because I, too, pray for them all the time as I think, why? Why, oh, why, oh, why do you not want sunshine and palm trees and things that are warm? <laughs> well, I have a good friend up there, and the reason we laugh every week, because, you know, in the, in the winter, down here at 78 up there, it's like minus 30. I'm like, are you uh-huh. your mind? <laughs> sure. Well, I know she's laughing right now because she's on the show. So, anyway. I love that. Thank you for being here so early in the morning. It's in California time, and I so appreciate you being here up and early. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm honored to be a part of your journey and uh, to your awesome audience, and I'm just thrilled. Super excited. Okay, Tiffany, we're going to dive right in because I heard you say one time, don't be afraid to revisit your past. So we're going to take a moment back in time. I love to do this with my guests and find out where you grew up and kind of give me your relationship with your family, particularly your mom. So I, as funny enough, I actually grew up in South Florida. I'm born and raised in the county of Dade County and uh, lived there forever, I feel like, until one day I was like, I need to go and see America. <laughs> and 
And so I, um, I haven't lived in South Florida for maybe a little over a decade or a decade and a half. And uh, I, I kind of hang out on the West Coast these days, but our company has a couple of offices throughout the country, so I find myself popping. But Miami, Florida will always be home. And my mom, uh, my mom's awesome. She's an awesome human being, and I had the great fortune of being able to be raised with her. Um, and, I, and I say that because I know so many people don't get that opportunity, or if they do, they're, they're unsure of what's in front of them. But my mother is still alive today, and I still continue to pull lessons from her as she evolves as a human, and I watch her story unfold. Okay, and brothers and sisters, you got any brothers and sisters? I do. There's seven of us. I'm the last of seven. <laughs> the last of seven. I'm the baby. I'm the baby. And, and we didn't all grow up in the house at the same time because I'm too little or I was too young. But the majority of them live here in the U.S., but not all of them. A few of them live um, in the country of Jamaica, where my family is from. Gotcha. Beautiful country. I have a lot of friends here from Jamaica. Uh, did you have, when you were growing up, did you like school? Did you have hobbies, sports? Did you hide? What kind of a child were you? I actually, uh, I loved school. I loved learning. And uh, up until about high school, I, for the most part, I found the purpose in it. When high school came around, I found I was bored. I was just bored all the time. I was bored. The teachers were boring. The people were boring. So I skipped school a lot, to be honest, like I, a lot, a whole lot. And I loved it. And I would go eight. I would go riding in the, in the mud with my friends. I, I would do all types of fun outdoor things. I was never um, – we weren't doing anything illegal, but we were having fun. And every day was a great day, but in the same breath, I was in honors classes and AP classes, so I would show up and take a test, and that's how I managed to pass and get through school. I, and funny enough, you know, I, in junior high, I, I decided that I knew better, and I wanted to, I just had to get out of school. So I actually left school uh, two weeks after it started and decided I was going to homeschool myself. And, and as crazy as that sounds, in my mind, I was like, you know, these people are moving too slow for me. They're wasting my time. I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to go get a job. I'll read their little books, you know, at nighttime, so on and so forth. I spent the whole junior year, I don't want to say figuring myself out, but definitely learning some hard lessons as you learn when you, you have that moment where you're like, oh, I'm on my own. And uh, needless to say that when I heard I could not graduate with the rest of my peers come the end of junior high, I mean, junior high, junior year, I found a way to get the assistant principals and the principals to let me back in for my senior year where I continued to skip school, but I managed to graduate. The end. I, I hear a little bit of my kids in you. <laughs> it's it so funny. My, my oldest was like that. He, was, he never skipped school, but he was kind of a clown. And he was so bright. I had a teacher, a calculus teacher, call me one time, and she goes, Mrs. Montgomery, I don't know what to do about your son. And I'm like, oh, no, what has he done now? She goes, he was sleeping in my class, and I asked him a question, and he woke up and got the answer right. And I'm uh. like, what? <laughs> you know, so I said, what do you do with that? You just have to laugh. You know? <laughs> so, did you ever get caught with running around like that? Uh, you mean skipping school? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did get caught. And sometimes my mom knew that I wasn't at school. 
And I, I, I mean, I didn't get caught like a uh, police or anybody. No, but it became common knowledge. It definitely became common knowledge for sure. Especially okay. when the report card would come out and it would be like Tiffany's missing 37 days of, you know, period <laughs> one. You'd be like, what? You know, and that kind of a thing. And back then, back then the, uh, let's just say the rules, not were a little bit more flexible, but they, you know, they weren't as stringent as they are today. As far as sports go, I decided one day, so I was in class, it was like sixth period, and that day, for some reason, uh, a handful of people were like, Tiffany, you don't really have a lot of school spirit, like you're just so not involved, and that kind of stuff talking. And I was like, I do too have school spirit. I do. I definitely do. So uh, at the end of the day, you know how they have like, like late, I don't know if you ever went to a school that had like afternoon announcements or like mm-hmm. late day announcements? Okay. So in the, in the, uh, and the speakers, I could hear that they are going to have football practice, football tryouts that day. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I'm going to go do. I am going to go try out for the football team, and I'll show everybody that I do have school spirit and I can be involved. Fast forward, I head to um, football tryouts, and, you know, the, the coach Almeida, he's looking at the, this huge crowd of all these boys, and he looks at me and he goes, uh, Miss uh, – cheerleading practice is down the hall and I was so mad and I was so like I'll show you so I was like no I'm here for football tryouts and it became a whole thing and I tried out for football I made it to the varsity team I was the defensive end and I played football in high school so that is kind of the that is my sport that is a sport I did in high school I was the only girl amongst 90 boys uh, my son was an offensive lineman. I'm not sure he probably would have gone after your little feet. <laughs> oh, for sure. They were constantly trying to figure out how to line me out. But, you know, I don't want anyone to listen and think that I was desperately passionate about football. That is not the case at all. I was 100% just annoyed enough, and I wanted to prove, um, I wanted to prove them all wrong. There's nothing more to it. There is nothing more. <laughs> I want to be clear. Sounds to me like that was the beginning of your life. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. It's a good times and a great memory. Very fun. Well, thanks for sharing that one. That, it makes me laugh listening to that. Uh, so from high school, where, just, what, what happened to the story? Let's get back to owning the story. Where would you go from high school? So from high school, I went on to live. I, I literally went on to live. The Between high school and today becomes one big journey of uh, cycling and making a decision to – making a decision – making decisions to own my own value, making a decision to not compromise my value, making decisions to challenge people who were undermining my value. And uh, real talk, I, I truly believe wholeheartedly that time almost stood still for me. And I feel like it stood still because I was constantly trying to catch up with it, constantly trying to catch up with just either how I felt, how I didn't feel, and, and, of course, I could give you the timeline version of what happened, but I think what happens to most people is that emotionally they, be, they find themselves in chapters based on how they're feeling. Does that make sense? It does. And so I'm thinking at this point, are you, you sound really confident now, but were you always a confident kid? Oh, no. Most of the time I want and, – and, I mean, it's not even that I was confident. Uh, I, I majority of the time I just didn't want to be there. I wanted to die. I hated life so much. And when I had children after that, it just complicated it because I didn't find myself loving, loving life exactly anymore. 
Um, I found myself just hating life and really wanting to die and challenging challenging why God had me here still, challenging the things and people that God put in front of me, challenging the moments and experiences that I, were happening to me. And I felt like, well, God, I'm a good person. So then I, you know, I, I kind of, I felt like I was in a mental and spiritual warfare, if that makes any sense whatsoever for like the next decade. Did something happen though? to Because to, I mean, you sounded like you're happy in high school and you have friends and I wasn't happy in high school. I, was, okay. I wasn't happy or unhappy. Uh, school was school. And when you live in Miami, Florida, life is a little bit different. Um, life is just a little bit different. So, yes, you could be happy in moments, but I think anybody can be happy in moments. But when, mm-hmm. you don't, when, you're not, um, when you're not clear that you're either wanted or desired or when you're also not clear that um, what your purpose is, like why are you here, and that you feel like you're fulfilling something, then it doesn't, it's not always easy to, to kind of live in joy. You just have moments of happiness. We put a lot of pressure on kids getting out of school to, you know, to find their purpose, find their job. What are you going to be when you grow up is what, you know, we're always asked that as kids. And yeah, I think sure. I've been through a lot of iterations of myself over the 60-something years. And uh, we don't know at that age. So what was it? How did you find your purpose back then? What was it that I, happened? I didn't find my purpose back then didn't. at all. Okay. No, I didn't. Um, uh, not too long after, not shouldn't say not too long, but my next chapter goes into me uh, having children, having two girls, and getting married, and um, going through a cycle of, uh, going through a cycle of, living in a marriage that allowed for me to be abused and allowed for me to um, cycle into uh, um, like, like almost like there's no way out. As bad as I knew that it was year one, I ended up staying for six years. Mm-hmm. So it's not, like, it's not like in year five I was like, oh, you know what? This is a problem now. This is a problem. Um, no, I knew that I was in trouble year one. But when you think to, when you're thinking small about yourself, when you don't own your own value, when you um, when you want you, you want to believe in something good, even though you know it's wrong, because the thought of facing what's wrong is just too painful. So you allow yourself to be deluded for a long period of time. Today turns into tomorrow, turns into next week, turns into two months, turns into 10 months, turns into a year. And so um, during that period of time, or I shouldn't even say during that period of time, not only, it's not even that my confidence was shot, but life was happening. And life was happening because I was constantly teetering again with, do I want to live? And, and, ha- and, and because I loved my daughters, Jada and Maya, at that time, I was so in love with them. They were just the coolest kids. They're 18 months apart. And I found myself hanging on to a string for life because of them, because I couldn't figure out if I die, what happens to them? Like who would take them? And, and that's really what I, I know kept me in the game, so to speak. Um, and then more importantly, it kept me in the game and it kept me entertaining the possibility, just the, like 2% possibility that I might be worth more. I'm speechless here, Tiff, and I'm just like, did you have any support from your family, or once you got married, you were you were out? 
once I got married, I was out. But, you know, I don't want to say that my family did not love me. I'm sure no. that they love me in their own way. Um, but they were not the kind of parents or, fa- or brothers and sisters who were, like, showing up at my doorstep going, Tiffany, we got to do something here. Um, yes, my, my family was within reach, but no one was beating down my door. And um, that definitely played a huge role in me not believing that I was valuable enough. I think sometimes, I know I'm looking at my, my kids, and um, my daughter is a single mom now, and there are times when she just wishes that her brothers would reach out to her. Now, they don't live geographically close, uh, mm-hmm. but I never really thought about that. I'm thinking, well, you know, they're, they're close to you, and she goes, she's like you. She wishes someone was right there that would knock on her door and anticipate, and I'm like, sometimes you just have to ask. Sometimes you have to speak up, and we're so self-sufficient that we don't want people to think that we need help. Was there a yeah. time when, when you needed the help and you actually did reach out? You know, I did. I remember going to church. Uh, I grew up in church, and I was a youth leader, or a youth part of the youth leadership team. And I remember going to church. Maya must have been about, Maya is my middle child. She must have been about, I don't know, a year or a little less than a year because she's just learning to walk, and Jada's three. And I walk into the church. We go to a huge church. Actually, it's probably very close to you. It's one of the largest churches in the country. It is huge. And I'm going to church there every single Sunday, and I am just believing that God is going to deliver me. So on a Tuesday, I'm literally at my wit's end because I'm at the point now where I'm putting my kids to bed hungry, like back to back. I'm definitely in a cycle where I cannot help myself, and I don't have any answers, and things are getting from bad to worse to just plain old stupid, and I walk into the church on a Tuesday, and I'll never forget this moment, because I walk up to this woman. She's at a counter of, like, the church office, and I had asked friends and people like that for help, but maybe in my mind, I was like, maybe this, it's not strong enough. It's not clear enough. Like, it's not black and white, so for me, this action, though I went to the church, I mean, there are 16,000 people who are there every single Sunday. So I'm like a drop in the bucket. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm like, great, these people are big, they're strong, they can come and help me in some capacity with something. So I get to the front counter and the woman is like, she's she's nice, she's pleasant. And uh, she says hello to me and I have my children in hand. One is literally in my hand, the other one's uh, I'm holding. And I say to her, hi, my name is such and such, and the truth is that I feel like I, I cannot make it another day. I need help. And she looks at me, and she kind of stares for a bit, and then she's like, with what? And I said, well, I mean, every other day, I can't figure out how to make it. I can't figure out how to get from today to tomorrow. I come to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, you guys say, if I do this, 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 and this, that this and this will happen. But God must not be seeing me because I'm still in the same situation, and I'm literally about to die. And my kids and I haven't eaten in a really long time. And, you know, in that moment when I saw her face, I really felt like, like when I said that out loud, I actually was like, it was its own crazy moment for me. Because I was like, man, I said it out loud. I actually said, like, I, I told someone what was happening it, it, in depth, you know, like raw, unfiltered. And I explained what was happening with my husband and or my in, in my life. And so before I could say anything else, she's like, I know exactly what to do. You have no idea. The sigh of relief that I had internally was like something for the books. 
I had never felt so like, oh my gosh, like not help is on the way, but just relieved. Like I felt like, I felt like, I don't know, like I was no longer carrying that burden by myself, emotional, mental, spiritual burden by myself. Before I know it, before I can blink, uh, she has made a phone call. She's called someone in the back. She's like, such and such is going to talk to you. And I'm like, hip, hip, hooray. And I, this person comes out, a woman, we walk to the back towards her office. She's like a counselor of some nature at the church. Someone takes my children so that they can go in color to the left. I go into this woman's office and I begin this long journey of talking and sobbing and crying and telling her what's going on and not begging her for help. But I think it's the first time that I'm like, finally, finally, I get to talk to somebody. Finally, someone's listening to me. And uh, after I was done, she said some words to me. And the words, I'm paraphrasing, but the words were something like, you know, that God has bigger plans for me. And that I just needed to trust in the Lord and, 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 and then she prayed for me and then they walked me back to the front. The lady at the front desk had a card with a $25 gift card to Winn-Dixie and told me that I needed to wait for God to respond. You know, I'll tell you, I think about it even that right now. It was my very first time ever really asking for help and it was a long time between that moment and the next moment. Because sometimes we ask for help, and when we ask for help, we believe that it's going to look or feel like, you know, like what we imagine, but it, it didn't at all. And I was so hurt and angry and sad at the same time because they basically pushed me out of the door after that moment, and I didn't know what else to do. And, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever felt like that or had that kind of moment where you ask for help. Not only do you not get what you need, but you feel a little more lost than you did before you asked for help. Mm -hmm. That's exactly where I ended up in this moment. And um, that began, uh, I I think I was angry enough to just say, I'm going to figure this out on my own. I don't know if I said that out loud to myself, but I definitely emotionally, um, uh, that was my next emotional next step. How did your life, how did your perceptions change after that? I was reminded of a couple of principles that we use today to teach, uh, you know, our, our audience. Number one, that if I don't own my own value first, that no one else will. So I was looking for or I needed or there was an idea that a third party or an outside component and our or idea would come to own my value and then therefore I would be able to see my value through that. That is not the case. I need to own my value first. First, second, third, fourth, fifth. And then someone else can. The second thing that happened was I made a deci- I made a decision then, though I didn't have all the answers, to entertain this idea that at this moment I'm enough. Period. Number three, that I had this truth that I didn't, I don't want to say that I didn't need anyone, but I didn't need to be validated. And so for women, you know, we're constantly still looking to be validated in different arenas. We're looking to be validated for who we are, uh, for what we know, or for what we can do. And inside of that validation, I don't know if I was looking for validation um, 
from God, but I definitely was looking for validation for my pain. And I realized that I, I just needed to, I needed to be in the driver's seat of the conversation. So it started with me making decisions to get rid of all of the things and people who didn't help me become stronger. Any concept, idea, or person that didn't play the significant role in me getting stronger, they just had to go. That's tough to do. It is. It is tough to do. But when you want something hard enough, when you want something enough, you'll do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. Most, most things that are awesome or most journeys that require you to get or live or be what you want, they're hard, which is why most people don't get there. I'm just thinking that some of the most toxic people that have been in our lives are very close to us many times, and it's tough to, to push away. Uh, I, I've only, it's interesting in my business world, I've had two people, it's funny how you, you don't remember the thousands that were really nice to you, you remember the one or two that were mean to you, um, and to, to kick them out of your life or out of your thoughts, how do you do that? Well, you know, um, it, it's not really that you just kind of do it, you, you really have to make a decision first. You can't just start to back away, which is what most people think happens. But you just slowly back away and then you like, you kind of don't pick up their phone call as much. You're, you know, you're not responding to a text as much. That's not really it. You actually have to make a conscious decision and you have to cut it out. And then the times when we're focused, when we have to be focused on getting stronger for whatever reason, um, I needed to get stronger so that I could win because I clearly was not winning at that moment. So then I needed to identify everything that made me weak, every person that made me weak, every scenario that made me weak, every part of my lifestyle that made me weak, and I needed to take a black market to it, and one by one I needed to stop tolerating it and to, and to get rid of it. And in some, in some aspects, yes, definitely some of those are siblings, some of those are parents. Some of those are people who are really, really close to us. In some of my cases, it was the city I was living in. Mm-hmm. My willingness to want and desire myself at its, at its peak was my want and my, and my desire to fight for me. But you can't fight for you at 92%. So if I, say I'm, if I, if I know that this person is, doesn't help me become stronger and I don't talk to them as much, but I still talk to them every now and then, then I'm, 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 I'm at 93, 94, 95%. But everything we want in our life requires us to be 100%. Because something can't really, like, I can't, I can't 95% love you. You know what I mean? I can't yeah. 95% be committed to you. I can't 95% be really anything because 95% for me might as well be zero. That's an interesting concept and I'm thinking of the, the women that we work with in, in recovery from an online relationship fraud. Is if you can't disconnect 100% from those, especially the people that have taken advantage of you, you can't recover. You have to Bingo. be in 100%. That's a, it a, has to be. That's a good aha moment for me. Uh, because we do have people that waffle and, and, you know, keep thinking, well, what if, you know, he is real or what if this? And I'm thinking, nope, we know he's not. So just cut it out. Get rid of the phone numbers, the pictures, the whatever. Just put it behind you and, and start fresh. And so when you got to this point, 
the kids were still little. Yeah, for sure. They were definitely still little. I feel like they've been little for the last 18 years. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are 34 and 28. They're, they're still, my kids are still little. Until you see little yeah. grandchildren coming, and they're like, oh, I'm not old enough to have kids that old. <laughs> uh, I hear you. I so hear that. <laughs> it's so fun. So you, did you end up getting divorced? I did. I did end up getting divorced um, six years, and then uh, I, had, I had him leave. Um, but I'll tell you, it wasn't until um, it wasn't until two years later that I was actually able to get divorced. When my ex-husband walked out the door, he walked walked out the door, and we haven't seen him since. And oh, wow. never saw him again. Never heard of him again. Never saw him again. And um, so it took me years to find to have like private investigators because you have to attempt to serve them so that you can get custody and things like that. And I did, and it took me two years, but I mean, that was well over a decade ago, well, well over a decade ago. And here I am today. Here I am today. But yes, I sure did get divorced. Well, and I'm really surprised that he, you're a pretty well-known woman now. I'm surprised he hasn't come and found you. No, I, he hasn't come and found me, but I mean, I am very well known. My name, it's easy for him to find me. He doesn't find yeah. me because he doesn't want to. It's no. by choice. That's okay, all it well, is. And everybody gets to make a choice, and it's okay that they make a choice. Well, that's absolutely true. So, okay, so now you are, what are you doing for, to, to put food on the table? Well, we run, com- well, today, I mean, let me fill in a gap. So I make a decision to own my own value and to use my story uh, to, to change my life, I guess, in, in, in its completeness. And in that, I, um, I, over the last decade and a half, I've built a handful of multiple six-figure businesses, and then I went on to build a multiple seven-figure business. Uh, five years ago, I sold my company. My business partners were Xerox Corporation and Hewlett Packer. That is where I built a seven-figure business, and I sold my company, and I knew that I needed to go and help other people, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know how to reach them. So I made a decision a little over five years ago to start sharing my story and to let my story lead um, my direction, because in other areas and other parts of life, like people have already heard, uh, they've already seen uh, like uh, things, like they've already seen great people, they've already been inspired, they've already met people who are unique, who wear a certain type of lipstick, or they drive a certain type of car, or whatever it might be, but there's, there's actually only one thing on the planet that makes you unique. It's your story. And when I understood that this world was just saturated, and what I felt like at, back then, every industry with every type of language and every type of thing, I just had to settle myself to, yes, but they've never heard my story before. And there was two parts to me being willing to, to share my story. One is the fact that I had a story to tell and that I needed to tell it because there were people who were waiting to hear it. But the second part of it is that I needed to heal. I had managed to talk and teach and tell parts of my story to small uh, groups of people where I trusted or a family member or friend possibly. But I knew in order for me to really heal, this is really where healing comes in for just people in general. This is not woman specific because we now today teach thousands of men around the world. The truth of the matter is that if, if we really want to heal or and or we want to become strong, 
we know that we're weak in some areas, but we really want to become strong, the fastest way to do it is to tell our stories. And the reason why I tell our story is because um, it's the only thing that the world has never heard before. It's the only thing that makes us unique. And the part of our story that we walk into the door with is our good, our bad, and our ugly, our very, very ugly. The ugly is the piece that the world really needs because it has the lessons, it has the art, it has the how. It has all the things that the world needs. And a lot of times we're so, we're like, so like, I'm going to tell my story, but then we tell the good and the bad. And we tell the good and the bad and we feel like it's enough, but it's the ugly that has the shame. It's the ugly that has the rejection. It's the ugly that has the truth. And until the truth gets to see the light of day, you actually never really get free. I completely agree. And there are people out there that come to us and say, well, we're not going to tell that story. I can't tell that story because my family will, you know, will disown me or my friends won't like me anymore or, or, or. How do you combat those barriers? So, yeah. So if you, if my friends don't, won't like me anymore and that means that you're willing. So it's like, think about it like this. If I, if I don't know, if they don't know all of me, they don't know everything that I am, then they really don't know me, which means that we really haven't built anything. We really don't have a friendship. We have a surface relationship. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything that's real. If, it, if, there's, if, if it's not true through and through, then we don't really have a friend. And that's really what we need in this life. We need real friends, just like we need real friends, people that we can depend on but they've got to be able to depend on you 100%. And and in order to do that, they have to know you 100%. So it's kind of like every day that I keep that secretly behind, I'm literally living a lie. Our friendship is a lie, which means that we can't, we're not standing on anything solid. And I don't know about you, but nothing great is built on lies. That's true. It'll fall apart. And I'm thinking, I I interviewed a young woman a couple weeks ago, and she's only 12, but she was talking about how kids today, the competition is to get the number of followers or likes or friends or all these kinds of, you know, when they've got um, 10,000 friends. I'm like, you don't have 10,000 friends. You know, it's just such a shallow kind of a thing. Uh, But I know that in the past 10 years, I've lost people that I had considered friends uh, when I came out with my story, they just they couldn't get it. They're like, why are you doing this? And I said, you know what? It's, it's not apparently for you, and that's okay. But my story is going to help one person other than me. And the same with yours. Your story, I'm sure, has helped thousands and thousands and thousands of people because you were so vulnerable in, in, in telling it. You know, there's no shame in being a single mom. There's no shame in, you know, in, in mental mental health issues i mean if anything we're not, we need to start talking about these things in a in a greater way to have dialogue so we don't push people away yeah and, for sure and you know we have to start talking about them because the people because the people who you really need in your life um they're going to they're going to connect to your honesty and your truth and that's where living becomes so much more fun. Well, and that's where your purpose is, and you grow. Exactly. And and I, again, I'm looking at your picture, and I see that smile, and I think, you know what? That smile connects with one person. That could be the catalyst. You know, if you'd had that smile and the reception when you went in to ask for help, 
might have changed things completely. Uh, you might be in a different direction. I mean, obviously things happen for a reason, but uh, people just want to have a smile. And I was talking with Ken Rashawn. I don't know if you know, I think you probably know Ken. And he's the Dr. Smiley. His, his attitude today is like, we all need hope. We need to have hope in something to move forward. So what gave you that hope, besides your persistence, uh, initially, to know that you could do whatever you wanted to do? I don't even, you know, it was, it, it was a combination of really good people who planted seeds of kindness and a moment in which they acknowledged me, just a moment. But truthfully and ultimately, it was my hunger and desire for myself. Like uh, most women spend this life and they don't know what they really want. They're not willing to articulate it out loud. Mm-hmm. And they're not willing to love themselves first, second, third, and fourth, and most. And they do one of two things. They're either saying to themselves, well, man, I really need someone else to validate me or to acknowledge me. Um, and or they're like, I'm just going to leave it up to God to acknowledge me and validate me because that's just as easy. The moment that we start to take that sheet of paper and we start to acknowledge just what do I want? What makes me excited? What makes me feel good? And I started to entertain, well, if I had more of this in my life, if I could figure out how to acquire X, or if I had, if I had the ability to figure out how to bring that type of a person closer to me, then, man, life would be so much more exciting. And I understood that there was a correlation between the story, me telling my whole story, my beginning, middle, and end, and me um, allowing myself to want and desire selfishly. Um, those two things, everything that I want, every part of the life that I need to live, every part of my purpose, every, the way that we should be making money, the friends that we should have, all of the things that are true to us, they're actually inside of our story. Every last thing, the way our kind of car we should drive. And so the more that I allowed myself to hang out in my story and to tell my story and to use my story and leverage it, and I don't mean a story. I don't mean that moment on a timeline. I mean your beginning, middle, and end, your whole life story, which we teach our audience, our our community to do in about three sentences. To start, this clarity of just who you are and why are you here and – and, and, and why are you here changed just about everything for me. It allowed me to have a hunger for self like I had never had before. Why do you think we think small? You know, is it, no, I was just thinking because I, I think so many of us, and me included in the past, were taught to be humble and don't be selfish and be a giver and all those things. But at some point, we have to turn around and take care of ourselves. So how do we break away from, being, from thinking small? Well, most people think small because they're conditioned to think small. We're mm-hmm. taught to think small. We're encouraged to think small. We're encouraged to think about the community versus just thinking about self. We're encouraged to not be selfish we're encouraged to not dream too, too wildly. Um, and depending on what either what culture you're from or where you live, like 
we are encouraged to also keep so many things in secret and in hiding. We're encouraged to not talk about the fact that we were molested. We're encouraged to not talk out loud about the fact that we filed for bankruptcy. We're encouraged to not talk about the fact that dad drank too much and we were abused at home. We're encouraged to keep that stays in the family and if this happens in the family, it stays in the family. And so because of that, we developed this cycle of people not really knowing who we are. And we have friends, whether it's high school, college, or we get into our careers, and people know us on the surface, but they actually don't know who we are because we don't know who we are. The, um, the very first step when I think about not thinking small is, for me, it's actually answering this question. So the first thing we ask people who come to our live event, or I guess at any capacity, what's the number one thing that you're most afraid of for the world to hear? What's the number one thing that you're most afraid of? And, we, and I ask that person to think about it. And then once they've thought about it, the truth is that that number one thing that the world, that I'm most afraid of for the world to hear is the number one thing that the world actually needs to hear. It's the number one thing that the world is waiting for right now. It's the number one thing that, um, that the world has been waiting for. It's the number one thing, though, that also sets it free. Dead on. I totally agree. And, and that's the one thing that I know when I came out with my story, the fear of what people were going to say about it just held me back. And then when I said it, and there was this mm -hmm. like dead silence, I'm thinking, oh, no what? And then it was like, you have to tell that story because... My mother was taken for 80000 My friend was da-da-da. And all these women started coming up to me and saying, no one is willing to speak up. You've got to tell yep. that story. And that is exactly what you just said because we're most afraid of it. But that's what the world needs to hear. And so many people are not willing to, to say it. But so much change could happen if everybody would tell their story because then you'd find out that you're not alone. Correct, that you're not alone and then you'd actually connect with people for real instead of uh, hiding behind a lie. And, and, you know, it's like the way we do one thing is the way we do all things. So where we think sometimes that it's just this one thing that we're holding back, it's like we're actually holding back so much of ourselves. That one moment, that one big thing that we're afraid of, it represents so many other areas of our life or, or, or years before. And what we don't want to feel like is that we're a failure or we're rejected or we're not really useful or um, that we are, you know, we don't want to feel the shame from other humans. However, what we don't, what we fail to understand is that connection is currency and it's the greatest form of it. So if we could just focus on connecting first, second, and third, and focus on that, then we create the currency that we want, the, the actual for real currency that we want. So currency in terms of actual dollars, but more importantly for me, currency in terms of relationships, friendships, love, partners, even with our children that we have. It is literally it. But you can't connect if, you're, if there's lies in between. I can't build an audience. Uh, I, I can't have customers who love us if I am not 100% with them right out of the gate, not eventually, not after a period of time, not after a couple of months when I feel comfortable. No, I mean right out of the gate. I can't have really great friendships if, I, if Jessica meets me today, but it takes her a year and a half to figure out who I am. 
or for her to hear the truth. That means that that year and a half, we've really built on nothing. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does. It does. It, and, and I'm thinking in positions sometimes, you know, a church or wherever, people put you on a pedestal thinking they know who you are. And, and that whole, for me, it was the woman behind the smile. That's where the whole woman behind the smile came from, is that I just felt like for so much of my life, I was doing what I was supposed to do, and I couldn't allow anybody to see any cracks. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally told my story, I'm like, okay, I'm human. I'm just like you, and we all have something to share. And that just is such a release. Like you said, you, that relief just to get it out. And mm-hmm. then you put people, then you put yourself around people, or people put themselves around you that are being good for you. Bingo. That's exactly right. That's right? exactly how it is. People start to get attracted to you as if they're, you're a magnet because they get to feel your truth. They get to, yeah. not your authenticity, the truth. The truth is the most rarest thing right now on the planet. <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> that, that's so true. That, I keep saying that's so true. That is true. That is exactly what's happening. Because, and and I just, I'm looking around and I'm listening to what people say. And I'm like, oh my gosh, does, does anybody tell the truth anymore? What is it? You know, and, and then when you're hiding, thinking that you're saying what people need to hear, because it's politically correct or it's whatever. It's like, no, let's just tell the truth and put it out there just to have a dialogue, to just get to know each other based on heart and, mm-hmm. and story. And so, okay, so, I mean, our time is zipping by, and I knew it was going to because I, just, I love your story and I love what you're doing. So how can people follow you, get a hold of you, watch you? Oh, so- yeah, for sure. I mean, in, on any, in any capacity, uh, any social media platform, you're hunting for Tiffany Largy or Do the Damn Thing Nation. We're super easy to find and come in stock. Um, we have an amazing group where we teach people how to tell their story and how to navigate um, every single day on Facebook. But more importantly, I'm going to say it's heading to either a virtual or a live event. And for the person who's listening and they say, I absolutely would like to learn how to tell my story, um, it, whether you hear this today or two, three years from now, uh, I'm going to have you send us a note, a simple note that says, um, I'd like to come live and I'm going to make sure that our team gives you a complimentary ticket to come and hang out with us either virtually or in person. Um, because tell, once you learn how to tell your story, like everything changes. Once you learn how to own your story, that's really where magic is just born for me. Last but not least, I'm going to say we have something that you can acquire right now. It's crushitwithyourstory.com, and it's a really simple, super beautiful um, guide that allows you to uh, think through, walk through, and then develop your first second and third step in you telling your story so again that's crush it with your story.com correct yep yep okay. yep well, that would be fantastic because i know the value of story the value of getting it out the value of getting the emotions out releases right. you from whatever pain i mean you won't always, I mean, you won't get rid of all of it, but it, it, it's enough so that you can move forward and not let it define who you are. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yep, yep, so, more yep. So, Tiffany, would, would you change anything in your life if you could go back? 
I would. I absolutely would. I wish I would have started telling my story sooner. There you go. I wish I, I would have used my story sooner. It took me years um, and layers to tell my story, and I wish I, I didn't allow fear um, or the feeling of, of judgment to, to, to put a cloud over me. I absolutely do because I think to myself sometimes, man, I would have been so much further. Like instead of 2 million, we would have been at 10. Instead of 10 million, we would have been at X. Mm -hmm. Instead of impacting and and connecting with 100,000 people during that time, we would have gotten to a million people. I know that the impact would have been greater on all layers if Mm -hmm. I had started telling my story sooner. Thank you so much for, for what you're doing and the impact that you're making and for owning your story and for writing back to me and say, I would love to be a guest on your show. <laughs> I was so excited when you did that. So thank you so much. And thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, Check out our Benfa teaming products at benfocomplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.